Welcome to the Women in Wales' first Poetry in a Climate of Change podcast. I am Jordan Imani Keith, Seattle Civic Poet, 2019-2022. This series highlights the shared experiences of women who recognize the intersectional risks and benefits we share with the whales of the Salish Sea. The City of Seattle's 2019-2022 civic poet Jordan Amani Keith is a storyteller, essayist, playwright, naturalist, and activist. A student of Sonia Sanchez, her TEDx talk, Your Body of Water, the theme for King County's 2016-2018 Poetry on Buses program won an Americans for the Arts Award. Her poetry is largely anthologized and was long listed by Denez Smith, for Cosmonauts Avenue Poetry Prize, Keith's Orion Magazine essays, Desegregating Wilderness and At Risk, were selected for the 2015 Best American Science and Nature Writing Anthology, Houghton Mifflin. She has been awarded fellowships from Hedgebrook, Wild Branch, Santa Fe Science Writing Workshop, Vona, and Jack Straw. Her memoir in Essays, Tugging at the Web, is forthcoming from University of Washington Press. Welcome, Jordan. Thank you. When you think about your family, personal, and or cultural journey, tell me about what intersectional experiences you recognize between yourself and the orcas of the Salish Sea, especially as a woman. Well, I'm launched into this journey because I constantly think about my family. And I grew up on the East Coast in Philly, and my first cousins lived by the Arco refinery near the airport. And so Sunday visits were spent at their house. And while they don't always live there, that's one of the places that stands out the most to me. That's the smell I remember the most from visiting. And the reason it stands out, I think, more is because my aunt on my father's side, my paternal aunt, who had nine children, she's 98 years old, and of her nine children, my first cousins, she's outlived five of them. And they all died from environmental exposures. The first one, he passed away when I was in Yellowstone National Park, and he, and he died from an asthma attack, and also primarily because he hadn't had the money for a new inhaler, and he was trying to get a breath, and he couldn't. And so for me, when I began my work as a naturalist and an environmentalist, and I learned that I could do things to protect the waters around us, which we call the Salish Sea, and sometimes Puget Sound, I started thinking about exposures in my family, from my father to his siblings, including my aunt, who's still alive. And then for me, when I learned about the experiences of the endangered killer whales, our southern resident pod, and at the time the eldest whale, Granny, was still alive, the parallels were striking to me that this older whale 
uh, who's like, you know, killer whales were actually dolphins, but um, we, we've, we've come to call them whales. Um, this granny was still alive, and many of her grandchildren had not survived, and her own children. So coming to see, well, what's the question? What might be endangering the health of these mammals in the water? And what caused the premature death of my cousins? And what might be a common thread, even though it's 3,000 miles apart? And when I dug deeper, I did find out that, you know, what we learned in elementary school about the water cycle and how air moves does play out in, in the health of all of us, no matter where we are in the country. And I've come to understand that the connection is more molecular than physical, despite how I've, I've thought, how did this happen to me? How do I care so much about this species that isn't my own? And I, I realize it's an extension of caring for my family. And that's for me, it's very, very personal. And then the more I looked at the experiences and the health of the whales in, in um, Puget Sound, the more I saw parallels in the big picture of the culture that I'm from. I'm African-American. Uh, I'm a black woman. And, you know, we all, well, we all should know the history of what it means to be a, a captured people and a removed people and a, then a people who who come to live somewhere else in the world. Um, so I have empathy for the experience that I come I came to learn happened to the um, to the orcas in Puget Sound at, in Penn Cove and then and because I learned about that in the context of what happened to the Japanese people living here in the Pacific Northwest I couldn't stop seeing the parallels and, and I came to learn about that because of the Bainbridge Island Museum I went and, and brought my students from the urban wilderness project to learn about the Japanese internment, and there was an installation also about the capture of the uh, orcas. And because they they did not physically separate the exhibits, I mean, they have one small place, it, it really rang out. So though my heritage is not Japanese that I'm aware of, <laughs> I could see a consciousness that felt that it was okay to harm, harm people in, in so many different ways. So yeah, it's very personal for me. Wow, thank you for sharing that. I feel like I heard more about your story than I ever knew before, so really appreciate you saying that. And I think that consciousness part about that consciousness of harm is so important and how it's carried out, you know, all over the world in different ways. So for Women in Wales First, Poetry in a Climate of Change, there's a very specific naming in the title of your project and also in Are You an Endangered Species? Um, do you want to speak a little bit about the significance of naming as it pertains to also the way that we name orcas and whales? Well, I'd like to share the wrestling that we had. And, you know, Jay, you and I both shared the our comfort with using an X in women and then respecting 
other people's feelings too as uh, transgendered folk not wanting to use an X in women. And so when you look at the call and then you look at the history of the project, you'll see women spelled W-O-M-X-N as well as the traditional way. And I wanted to share a little bit of a reflection. It's not like a, a solid, I know exactly everything about this subject, but really would like to have a conversation with a larger public. Because for me, I felt most comfortable with the X. My pronouns, I use she, her, and sir. And part of that is also my experience and history of being a black woman, you know, I, I don't use X in my name. I'm not, I don't come from the Malcolm X tradition, but I understand what it means that my name is chosen and is outside of what it would be if I, if I weren't part of the African diaspora. So there's like an internal recognition of the X <laughs> for me. Um, and also that Historically, the small identity that's afforded from a Judeo-Christian perspective that I would say, I would argue, isn't really truly a Judeo-Christian perspective of the male-female binary. Um, and, and the reason I say that as a person who, who uh, Christianity is my faith tradition, so therefore I study it and chew it up and spit out the bones <laughs> of, of what is taught, you know, uh, the first being in my traditional faith is not male or females, reflecting the deity, so that would be all genders. <laughs> and I could really go down a rabbit hole with that, but it's internal for me, the wanting to symbolize. I need, I need people to think differently about gender for me and for other people. But naming is, is a wrestling that I realize that marginalized groups of people have, you know, in my shortish lifetime and in my memory of reading, you know, folks have been called from in the black community have gone from being colored, Negro, Afro-American, black, and then African-American, and then back and forth. And then I do know that that matters to people. And then, you know, so as marginalized people, we're always wrestling with names. And then I look at how the naming of the orcas as killer whales, what that did for their perception in the community of people. Like they're killers and they steal our food. But when we want to be kind and think of them, we often call them orcas. So it's more of a reflection than a conclusion and a conversation to have about how names help us to be perceived as either benevolent or malevolent, I guess. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I wanted to ask you to reflect on the original call for participants. And since this is your project, speaking more towards um, Urban Wilderness Project's trademark question, are you an endangered species? Well, one of the things that 
felt critical and still feels critical in bringing together a group of people at a time where, you know, we're in the midst of a global pandemic and then in the midst of elevated, magnified, visualized violence against black people and Asian people. The call which existed in the, in the language of are you an endangered species, find out, was long before these most recent relevant occurrences. The call, are you an endangered species, is a call from Urban Wilderness Project to ask people to zoom in. When I ask the students that I work with, and I have had the blessing of primarily working with uh, students at like Cleveland High School, for example, so largely people of color. If I ask them, are you an endangered species, many of them are like, "Mm mm-hmm, right away. And sometimes there's one or two kids that are like, no, there's lots of people on the earth. And so both are true, I think. And the question is always specific, you. It's not, are we? And that call developed out of an invitation to do a project and engage uh, high school students a lifetime ago at, at Nova High School, and it was going to be in a, a group of all people of color, and it was at the beginning of, of the crisis that happened after um, the bombings of the World Trade Center after September 11th. And uh, a lot of Sikh young people and adults were being targeted for violence uh, because people thought they were Muslim. And of course, people who were Muslim also were being targeted. The question magnified in my mind because certain people have more risks than other people. Certain youth have more risks than other people. And like in my essay, says, are you at risk? Yeah, every, everyone's at, at risk. The dangers are different, you know, and some people are endangered. So zooming in, like, well, what what is the common experience people in my group that I have? First, identifying my own. What 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 makes my life well? What are the cumulative benefits in my life that make me well? My family, and I when I say family, I I do not singularly mean blood. If you're fortunate enough that your blood family makes you well, then then that's a blessing. Uh, but all family is chosen. The family that you have, do they make you well? The food you eat, the water you drink, where you get it from? Zoom in and then look more closely. If there are things in your risk column that outweigh your benefits, how can you change them? And then do you share those risks and benefits with other people? So if you know things in your life put you personally at danger because there is only one you, as Sadly, many of us know as people have left our lives in this in this time of of the pandemic. There's they're not replaceable. You, you no one else will be the mother of that family, or the father, or the cousin, or the auntie, or the uncle, or the person who doesn't have a, a label because they're they're trans, right? So you. They don't have the auntie-uncle label, but they are they're an integral part of your family and your life and your well-being 
and they can't be replaced. So are you that person? And are other people like you at risk? And we've come to see that. So that translated again to the question about, well, then what do we share in common with other species? And how do we move away from the imposed barriers that, that separate us as species when, in fact, we are inextricably connected by air and water? You can do whatever you want. You can have whatever argument you want. Every living thing requires air and water. And so if we are able to speak for our own health and the health of our social and natural ecosystems, then we can advocate for the species that cannot physically show up in court to advocate for their own or physically argue for policies or physically stop harms from happening. And the call was for people who already know that, because that's a lot to say in a, in a press release. So <laughs> the people who answered already recognize, yes, yes, there are threats to my life and my existence, and I recognize the connection between myself and other species. And that's the thing that we all had in common um, and came together, yeah. Yeah, and coming together, I think that really helped to build and understand in the experiential level of those cumulative benefits and being able to talk about those um, within circle, even if it is a virtual circle, was really important. And it was also really amazing too to interweave those um, stories together in writing and speaking about writing too just wanting to hear um, your your poem that we crafted so um, for our writing circle we all crafted a poem it's uh, called a pantoum which is a malaysian uh, poetry form and um, for our specific group we took lines that Jordan selected at the beginning of our project and interwove those lines into a pantoum because the pantoum has a repetition in reusing lines. So um, from all of our poems, we generated uh, our own collective poems. And we would love to hear yours right now, Jordan, um, if you would share with us. Thank you. So my poem is called In the Body of the Sound. Tell us we are winning so my bones don't rattle my skin. Is it only the whales with remnant appendages? Or are my children also my ancestors swallowing detritus? Tell me so my bones don't rattle my skin. My eyes have been weaponized, like orca, like salmon, hungry. And are my children also my ancestors swallowing detritus? Stuck between seen and unseen. My eyes are weaponized like marrow, like salmon, hungry, like Henrietta Lacks. My DNA caged, stuck between seen and unseen. Drowned in the body of the sound, like orcas filled with stones. Like Henrietta Lacks, my DNA caged. You tell me I'm not her, drowned in the body of the sound, like orcas filled with stones. 
my body split, my body made to breed. You tell me I'm not her. When I look for your voice, a smooth black stone, my body split, my body made to breed. Breath of all kinds mingle when I look for your voice, a smooth black stone chasing the moment. Breath of all kinds mingle, all lands that touch all ancestors, like Henrietta Lacks, her DNA caged. Is it only the whales with remnant appendages drowned in the body of the sound, like orcas filled with stones? Tell us, we are winning. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast today, Jordan, and for bringing forth this project and really enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you, Jay. The Women and Whales Poetry in a Climate of Change podcast was made possible through the support of the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Jack Straw Cultural Center, and Urban Wilderness Project. I'd like to thank Gretchen Yanover for our theme music, and thank you listeners for joining us. Learn more about the Women in Wales Poetry in a Climate of Change project at urbanwildernessproject.org.